2 Timothy 2, 19-21. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal, the Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Heavenly Father, we just, we just thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, I just pray that uh, as I share this morning, you will just help me to stay calm and, and share Share these words that I have, Lord, and I just pray for our hearts that you will open them. You, you will have each one of us hear what it is that you have for us to hear this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm getting just a little bit of feedback. Um, but uh, Thank you. So, I want to start out with a question to everyone. What is God using you for? Is He using you? Can He use you? Are you His for Him to use? Were you His? But. What's the but? You sinned. You messed up. You quit. You couldn't do it because it was too hard. Someone said, You failed. Or someone said, you're too much of a sinner for God to use you? Are you really His? I want to talk about a few, few guys from the Bible that uh, it didn't seem like God could use. Um, the main person I want to talk about today is John Mark. But I'm going to start elsewhere. I'm going to start with Peter and Paul, and then we'll come back to Mark. So, to get into Peter... Uh, we want to look at Luke 5, 1 through 11. Actually, I'm going to start in uh, verse 3. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed, a lar- they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, and saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now in Matthew's account of this story, it says, They left immediately and followed him. Peter acknowledged who Christ was right from the start. In verse 8, he fell down to his knees and he said, Depart from me, for I am sinful. Peter knew he was a sinful man. And Jesus knew he was a sinful man. 
But what did Jesus do? He taught Peter. Peter went right away and followed Jesus. And he witnessed miracles and all that Jesus did. Remember in Matthew 14, Peter walked on water. 28, verses 28 and 29. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now remember, this is, they were all, they were in the boat going across and it was in the middle of the night. It was a storm. There was a lot going on. And looking back at that time period, most of these guys in that boat were fishermen, right? So they believed in power of the sea, that the sea had power, that there was creatures in the sea and such. So seeing this figure come across in the dark, in the shadows, in the storm, Peter didn't even go there. He went right to, he knew it was Jesus. And he called out to him and said, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Peter is a firm follower of Christ. But, what happens in Matthew 16, 21-23? From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, we know Peter wasn't Satan. But what was he doing? He was trying to hinder God's plan. Jesus had to walk through this so that redemption could be fulfilled. But Peter didn't understand what was going on. Peter was thinking worldly. He was thinking the thoughts of an ordinary man, not the divine incarnate Jesus. Peter was threatening to obstruct the divine plan of God. Jesus had to rebuke him and wake him up, give him, get him thinking correctly. Peter needed a wake-up call to get his priorities straight. We don't ever need a wake-up call, do we? Do our priorities ever get out of line? I don't know about yours, but... I need wake-up calls quite a few times during the day. You can ask my wife. I'm sure she would attest to that. Um, but we can become an adversary of God's will, can't we? How many times have we acted against His Word? How many times have we cheated, stretched the truth a little bit? We didn't lie. We just stretched the truth. How many times have we gossiped or wanted something that someone else had? And so on. The list goes on and on. See, Peter had gotten off track. But God put him back on track with Jesus' rebuke. Jesus didn't cast Peter aside because of his failures. He didn't just say, well, he's no good to me anymore and throw him, you know, throw him out to the curb. In Matthew 17, 1-7, we get to read a little bit more of Peter's story. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became like white as light. 
And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from that cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. See, just a few days after being called Satan and rebuked, Peter was with Jesus and witnessed the transfiguration. And when they were scared, when when he was scared, what did Jesus do? He comforted him. He showed him love and love to the others and compassion. Just days after having to rebuke Peter for trying to be a hindrance, Jesus is comforting him and showing him love. Then again, we read in uh, Matthew 26, 69 through 75, we read about three times that Peter denies knowing Christ. On the night that Christ is captured, three different times to many different people, Peter said in the strongest way he could say, I do not know this man. I'm not with him. I do not know him. That seems like a pretty big but, doesn't it? A pretty big failure. I mean, you have Peter, a disciple who walked with Jesus, who prayed with Jesus, who broke bread with Him, who witnessed many miracles. He left everything behind. I mean, think of the conversations they must have had when they were traveling from town to town. It took them a while to get there, didn't it? Because they were walking. It's not like today when, okay, we're going to take a 12-mile road trip, the kids jump in the back seat, put the things in their ears, put the thing in front of their face, and you get there, and then the first words are spoken, right? Nothing's spoken the whole way there other than get on your own side or, you know, <laughs> he's touching me or she's touching me or whatever. But no, back then they walked all of these distances. They had all that time to talk, to build relationship. He was a true follower of Jesus, and yet he failed. I mean, remember back in Matthew 16, he says, Simon Peter replied to Jesus' question, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's go back to right before Peter was rebuked and what Jesus had told him in Matthew 16, 18, and 19. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus is telling him, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. I mean, we've all watched the news or a TV show or a movie where, you know, they give some great guy this big key to the city. And it's a great honor. But think about it. Jesus was telling him, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Talk about being on a mountaintop. Jesus is telling you, I'm I'm building my church on you. And then, a short time later, Jesus is looking at him and saying, get behind me, Satan. I mean, talk about being on a mountaintop and then just knocked right down. 
But that's, I mean, that's not the end for Peter. Peter's forgiven for all of that. And, and probably a lot more that we don't get to read about. See, God uses Peter, and Peter does exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. He preached on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 were added to the kingdom. Peter was mightily used by God, even though he had failed. Remember 2 Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, when you think about a dishonorable vessel, Saul definitely has to come to your mind, doesn't he? I mean, think about Saul. Think about what Saul did. I mean, he was a Roman soldier. His sole purpose at that point was to wipe out Christianity. It was to imprison them, do whatever he had to do, but to wipe it out. It's not a very honorable vessel, is it? But what happens in Acts 9, 1 through 22? Saul had asked for permission uh, to go to Damascus to bring back and capture uh, the Christian followers there. But when he was on his way there, he got knocked off his horse. And he heard a voice, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul loses his, his sight and he goes into Damascus and he's told to wait there. And Ananias comes and visits Saul and lays hands on him and prays for him. Saul regains his sight and he believes. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's baptized. And then he starts proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues and saying that Jesus is the Son of God. He's doing evil things for a living. But then he is saved by God's grace. And he's used in many countless ways. I mean, think of, think of the Scripture and how many ways he was used there. But then think how many people have read that and heard his story and have been changed because of hearing his story. And then we have... Barnabas, who went on many missionary trips with Paul in Acts. These are all great guys who weren't perfect, who had a but, who had a failure, who had sin. Now I said I wanted to talk about John Mark and I haven't really even mentioned him because I wanted to start with Peter and Paul and then mention Barnabas because these guys had a huge impact on John Mark's life. It, it, it kind of builds the background for who John Mark is. Um, but we really don't know a lot about John Mark. John Mark, the name itself, John was the most common Hebrew name and Mark was the most common Roman name. There's just not a lot of details in the Bible about John Mark. And there's a lot of debate among scholars about when the Bible's referring to John Mark or if it's just referring to Mark, if it's referring to the same person because the name was so common. Well, as I was studying this, uh, I can't remember who it was, but they made a great point. 
If I come in here today and I just say to you, Alan, Alan did this, Alan did that, Alan went there, who are, who are you all thinking about? Pastor Alan. I don't even have to say Pastor Alan or Alan Snap because we all have Alan in common and that's who we're talking about. But if I said, Betty, Betty did this, Betty did that, you'd be saying, well, who's Betty? Betty Jones, or, or you might have a Betty that you would be thinking about. But in the situations in the Bible, John, Mark, when it's just Mark, that's who the scholars believe that they were referring to. So, some other details about John Mark. He's given credit with writing the Gospel of Mark from Peter's account. Um, and in that Gospel, this is another one of those things where the, uh, the scholars have different opinions, but in that Gospel, that's the only Gospel where on the night that where Jesus was betrayed and taken in captive, um, in the Gospel of Mark, it talks about a young man barely escaping being caught by a guard running out of his garment. Well, a lot of scholars think that that was John Mark. Um, we know more about his mother, we, but there's some things that they're saying this might have been or this might not have been. Um, they think his mother may have possibly owned or looked after the Garden of Gethsemane, that the Last Supper may have happened in her house. These are possibilities. Um, but one thing for sure we know is that John Mark was raised in a home where his mother was a believer. Because if we look back at Acts, 11, Acts 12, 11 through 14, um, remember, Peter had just escaped from prison. The Lord had just rescued him from prison. He walked by the guards. Um, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. See, when Peter got out, he went straight to Mary's house, John Mark's mother. He knew that there would be other men there, and he must have been there plenty of times because it tells us that the servant girl Rhoda, when she went to the gate, she didn't see his face. She just knew his voice. So she, he must have been there many times for her to just recognize him by simply his voice. So we know that Mary's house was a safe place for him to go. It was friendly to believers. So with all of this activity in his mother's house, Mark is exposed to the most influential Christian leaders right there in his own home. And in Colossians 4.10 we read that Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. So Mary and Mark are related to Barnabas. Mark would have heard them all preaching and teaching. And we're told in Acts 13.5 when Paul and Barnabas went on their missionary journey that they had him to assist them. 
John Mark traveled with them, hearing them proclaim the gospel. Then they came to Perga, and Acts 13.14 says, Now Paul and his companions set sail for Pamphus and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. For some reason, John Mark left. He returned to Jerusalem. Why? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. Scholars have a lot of different opinions, but they don't know for sure. There's many possible explanations of why. Maybe he was afraid. Maybe things really started to get difficult. He wasn't used to roughing it. I mean, he came from a nice home. So he just might not have been used to all that was going on. He might have been fearful for his life. Whatever the reason, he quit and he went home. But Paul and Barnabas continued to preach and proclaim without him. Then in Acts 15, 36-40, it says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the Lord the word of the Lord, and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to, do, to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and depart, departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So Paul and Barnabas had a sharp dispute about John Mark, about letting him come with them. Think about that for a minute. Paul and Barnabas, they had done so much together on their missionary journeys. But think back to the beginning when Paul first believed. Who was it that went to him and spent time with him, who discipled him? Who was it that backed him up when they went to the other men and said, no, he is a true believer. It was Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas had a real relationship. They had a bond with each other. But simply wanting to take John Mark with them caused a rift between them so that they went their separate ways. So whatever reason that John Mark left, it must have been a dramatic reason to cause all of this So, what did John Mark do? I want to throw out a couple theories. While, while I was reading, um, one of the theories comes from missionaries. When, when folks are preparing to be a missionary, they use John Mark as an example. So that they can make sure that the missionaries are called. In Acts 12 it says, Set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. Then it says, and then they had John Mark to assist them. Does it mean that it was their calling and not his? We don't know. What ties all of these people together is the fact that they proclaimed Christ when we talk about Paul and Barnabas, 
and Peter. They proclaim Christ, but they fall short. But we know that they are Christians. We know they are believers because the Scripture tells us. Peter, in, in uh, Matthew 16, 5 and 16, it says, he said, that is, Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we talked about his failures. Peter does what he was cleaned up to do, and he was set aside to do. Remember, right from the start, Peter said, I am a dirty, unhonorable vessel. Did Jesus listen to him? Nope. He told him, follow me, even though he didn't have his life together. An unhonorable vessel that would be made honorable by Christ. And Paul, who was unhonorable, but made honorable by Christ, Paul saved and proclaims. Then I would say he fails again when he judged and didn't forgive John Mark and, let, and he let it cause a strife between him and Barnabas. Same with Barnabas. He fell short when he let the strife get to that level between him and Paul. There's a lot of other folks in the Bible that it just seems like, how could God use them? So I found this uh, from an um, unknown Arthur, author, and I just want to read this. Do you feel like God couldn't possibly use you? Remember, Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob, a liar. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Simon had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy, they were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. Lazarus was dead. So, where do you fit on this list? Think back through that list. There's a lot of failures on that list, isn't there? So, where do you fit? Are you running from God? Are you too old? Too young? Afraid? Wherever you are on this list, what's God have to say about us? He tells us in Matthew five fourteen through 16, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All of those examples from that list, that when you read their name and what is associated with them, you would think God couldn't use them, but He did. They didn't hide their light. 
just because of those shortcomings. They let their light shine. We need to let our light shine even though we have shortcomings. I mean, John Mark, why, why did he go home? What was his shortcoming? There's a reason that they didn't really put out there a lot, but I want to put out there. We learned that John Mark came from an influential Christian home. He was hearing and seeing. He was around followers. Whether he met Jesus face to face or not, that's questioned. But we know he was raised and immersed in Christianity. But was it real to him at that point? Did he truly believe? Did he make Jesus his own at that point? Going on the missionary trip with Barnabas and Paul, that's what he should have done. That's what he was expected to do because of where he was raised and where he was. But did he truly believe at that point? We don't know for sure, but we're told the others were believers. See, we can be brought up learning all the scriptures, listening to them. We can know all the answers. We can walk the walk. But if we don't make the decision for ourselves, it's meaningless. So could it have been at this point in his life he hadn't made that decision yet? And when he went on the journey with him that he was embarrassed, ashamed, afraid of what others would say if he would, if he would come out with this? Would they judge him? So maybe he just went home so he didn't have to face it. Now this is pure speculation. But is this your story? Is this the reason why you think God can't use you? There's a lot of reasons on that list. There's an old saying that says, too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. But should it be too earthly minded to be any heavenly good. I want to pause here for a minute. And if, if that is your story, if you're here or if you're listening and you haven't accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I want to encourage you. Talk with someone that's here. Talk with Ken. He would love to share with you. When Alan gets back, talk with him, but I don't want you to wait that long. Talk with whoever brought you that you're here with today or that you're sitting with listening today. Talk with someone. Ask them the questions. They would be happy to share with you and, and show you that it's easy. All you have to do is ask. Let's turn to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus.
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so let no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works. See, it's a free gift. God is rich in mercy. He loves us even when we were dishonorable vessels. By His grace, we are saved through faith in Him. Once you accept His free gift, He will use you. See, John Mark, we don't know when he was saved, but we definitely know that he was saved that he became a follower of Christ. We know because Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4.11, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. And in Peter 5.13, Peter sends greetings from those who are with him, including my Mark, my son, meaning my son in the faith. So John Mark failed. He quit. He went home. Again, we don't know the reason, but whatever the reason, it doesn't matter because he was made a useful vessel. He became useful to Paul in his ministry. He studied under Peter. He's credited with writing the Gospel of Mark based on Peter's account. My original question was, what is God using you for? Is he using you? Can he use you? Are you his for him to use? Were you his for him to use, but? What was the but? Whatever the reason, whatever the but is, whatever the sin is, you can be cleaned. Remember 2 Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And how do we cleanse ourselves? The cleansing is not actually done by us. All we have to do is ask for the cleansing. If we confess to our Lord and ask for forgiveness, we're told in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, all we have to do is ask, and He will. He will clean us. He will make us an honorable vessel, useful for every good work. He's waiting. He's wanting. And He is accepting. No place does it say that we have to have everything together before He will accept us. Look back at Peter. Not me, Lord. I'm a sinner. The Bible tells us while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He is how we become a clean vessel. He's how we're cleansed. He is how we become like Him. It is our relationship with Him that we confess, it is in our relationship with Him that we confess and He is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. No matter what season you're in, haven't made him yours yet? Just ask, and he will be. All you have to do is ask. You are his, but you can't get past one of those reasons, one of those sins. 
Just ask, and He will forgive you. Just repent. He will clean you. He will make you an honorable vessel for His use. He will set you apart as holy. He will forgive you. He wants to use you. He can use you and He will use you. Those are His promises. He promises that to us. See, we, we all have that baggage. We all make mistakes. We all have that but. If that list was up there with all those people, we all fall into one of those categories. But all we have to do is ask Jesus for His forgiveness and to cleanse us, and He will. He will clean us, He will make us honorable, and He will use us.